It's interesting in, in Acts when, when Peter was um, the glory of God, he was full of the Holy Ghost. Man, they put him out there and, and he, was, he was almost dead, but he was full of the Holy Ghost. We need more people that are more in tune with their spirit than they are this world. Now, a, a couple of, a few months back, two, three months ago, I was put uh, 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 right at the end of the meeting. Everybody was gone, and the pastor's wife decided to come up and lay hands on me. Boom, I went. And the fire enveloped me. And then all of a sudden, the cloud enveloped me. And then all of a sudden, I heard a voice said, you can stay here if you want. Wow. And I thought, where am I? And I saw heaven. And, and I thought, let me just tell you, if you know someone that's gone home to be with the Lord, forget it. Let them go. They're happy. <laughs> They're out there. They're with God. They're with Christ. They're with their creator. And all of a sudden, I was just settling in. And then I, and then I, I clicked in and I said, Lord, this would be nice. But I am a spark plug in the world. And you need every spark plug you got to be living right now. When I came to, came back, I don't know how to explain what happened. It was so, it was, um, I've only had this happen, not to this extent, but very close, two or three times. And, and when I came to, all of a sudden there was an usher there. And I began to speak to him about his life. He, he panicked. He freaked. And when you're in the glory like that, that's when you can see things. You say, you can see it with the word of God. Yes, his word. You better know his word. If I didn't know his word, I would have been. You wouldn't know how to yield. I wouldn't know how to yield, but I would have been confused. Right. But because I knew the word, I wasn't confused. I turned and looked and started speaking. The first person that was near me, I was just there at that place where I could tell him everything. Wow. Uh. He said, how did you know? I said, I've been in heaven. I've been with Jesus. And all of a sudden, everything opened up. We need people to be closer to heaven than the earth. And so when I saw Stephen in the scripture like this tonight before I came, it said he saw he was full of the Holy Ghost and he looked steadfastly into heaven and he saw the glory of God. Ooh, he saw the glory. And he said, and he said, what did he say? I don't have my glasses on. My eyes not dim. And he saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. He said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the right hand of God. You know, we talked about this is the other place where he saw Jesus standing. Remember this morning? Revelation, he's standing in the midst of the church. This is the other reference, the only one in the Bible. There, and he kneeled after he will. He kneeled down. They took him and they stoned him. He kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He was gone. No, no, no. What do you keep doing that? And this morning, remember this morning, she, she, she had a little word and then she took the whole thing. And, and now she's trying to take my Bible. And, okay. And then Saul, he was consenting unto this death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except, except the apostles. And they, were, they weren't scattered abroad. They were divinely sent. And a devout man carried Stephen to his burial. Oh, see, you may take that. No, you can take that. Okay. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Of the what? Of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they were scattered abroad, went everywhere, preaching the word. 
Herod seen havoc was in the church, but they went preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ right in the middle of all the havoc and right in the middle of all the problem. Preached Christ unto them, and the people were in one accord. That's what I was trying to get you to see this morning. You want to see greater miracles? Get in one accord like you were this morning. It was wonderful. Did you see what kicked in? What happened this morning? When everybody fell on the face, when everybody was was praying in tongues, when everybody was worshiping, when everybody was entering in, when everybody oh saw we got in one accord and we saw the glory. And you're going to have more visitations. That was that was just very mild. And he said he gave heed to those things which Philip spake, seeing the miracles which he did. Unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out. Many were possessed with him. Many taken with palsies that were lame. And there was havoc in the world and there was persecution but there was great joy in the city great joy people knowing that name people spitting out that word people not being concerned with oh me and myself and am I doing it right and do I know enough and do I have enough and uh, there's something wrong with me and no just put it out there put it out there you owe the world the gospel you just put it out there and God will show up and he will perform and there'll be great joy hallelujah what is his name Jesus say it again Jesus that's who you need Jesus I'm gonna sing it again Jesus say it with me Jesus there is something our trust in kings we don't put our trust in kingdoms we don't put our trust in politicians we don't put our trust in anyone but Jesus oh hallelujah (laughs) oh praise God don't trust in anything but him hallelujah there are a lot of preachers in here tonight amen there's a lot of witnesses who are in here tonight. Yeah. You know, listen, some people say, I want, I, want, I, want, I want to teach you a lesson. Don't look at my shoes because I wore the wrong shoes tonight. Okay. <laughs> okay. They said, if you knew how little people thought of you, it wouldn't bother you. Because they're thinking of you a whole lot less than you think they are. <laughs> You've got to learn to yield to the Spirit of God. You've got to learn to give yourself to him. Some people give themselves better to a spouse than they do to the Holy Ghost. The better you give yourself to the Holy Ghost, the better you give yourself to your spouse. The better you give yourself to your friendships and to this world. We lay our lives down for others. You know, does the scripture have interest of others more than yourself? Now, you know, we believe in prosperity, but how many people do you hear preaching about give yourself interest of others more than yourself? Do you really live that? Give yourself to others. What do they need? What, what, what is it 
that you need to do for this world. You know, we talked all about France on there, but let me tell you something. We traveled in the United States for 30 years, and we just only went overseas for just a little bit of a time. Our, the bulk of our ministry is in the United States because it is a great bastillion of freedom to the world. 90% of the gospel is supported from America. We were getting calls from all kinds of missionaries and all kinds of people all over. We went to the Philippines and Canada afterwards, and they said, we're concerned what's happening in the United States. You know why? Because they didn't want us to lose the freedom that we have and be run by the government instead of us being, you know, instead of us running the government. Because all those nations run like that. They were very, very concerned about our nation. When we were in the Philippines a couple months ago, they were saying they were very concerned. They said, we're praying for America. All of them. The, the, the people in Italy, one of the most, one of the yep. biggest well-known church in, in Rome, the man said, we sat and talked with, and we had a whole bunch, I had a whole bunch of ministers around me, Italian ministers, and they were asking me to minister to them, on, and they were asking me questions, how about the gifts of the Spirit, how do you, how do you flow, how do you know things, and I'm sitting there, and, I, and, and I'm ministering to all these pastors, and, the, and the, head, the head honcho, he looks at me and he says, I'm praying for you and your nation. He said, we've got to keep a nation that's really free. But no matter what happens, there's great joy. Great joy because of the Holy Ghost and because of signs and wonders and miracles. We, the church, are the ones that need to have them. We're the ones that need to flow in the gifts. We're the ones that need to have word of wisdom, word of knowledge. We're the ones that need to have discerning of spirits and working of miracles and the gift of faith. Because then they go to the world to get their things, but they can't give them. And they went to the world because the church backed off of some things. But we are gearing up. Hallelujah. Thank God your pastors are like they are. Thank God they're hungry for a move of the Spirit. Thank God you're blessed to have them. Hallelujah. This is about a Holy Ghost meeting. Hallelujah. Oh, glory, glory, glory. I think it was John G. Lake who said, when you want what God wants for the same reason he wants it, you are invincible. You know, one thing I've found about being in the presence of God changes your want to. What you want changes. Because your desire follows your delight. If you delight yourself in the Lord... He will give you the desires of your heart. But your desire will follow your delight. When you delight in the Lord, your desires change. The things that you thought you couldn't live without don't look so good in light of eternity. The things you thought you had to have, you don't even have your eyes on them anymore. You know, you've heard that old song, um, you know, I have decided to follow Jesus. There's a verse that says, the world behind me, the cross before me. Well, if you really do have the cross before you, the world will be behind you. When you got your eyes set on what God's done, it pretty much takes care of whatever else has your eye. Uh, Romans 13, 11 says that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. I love this scripture. Knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. That word time in the Greek, it's the Greek word. It looks like Cairo syrup with an S. K-A-I-R-O-S. And it actually means an opportunity or a season. It's a Greek word that refers to an opening in time or a moment when a, a sense of meaningful change permeates the air, which leads to a, or hints at a transformational moment or opportunity to literally turn things around. 
He calls it knowing the time or opportunity or season. There is an immediacy uh, in, 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 that's all associated with it. Like in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, when it says, Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation, uh, declaring that God's grace and mercy is available right now. And it requires an appropriate response that will actually cause things to turn around. I read this story. I don't remember where I read it. Dwight L. Moody, it was a, uh, a reference to when he was preaching. It says he learned a bitter lesson in his early days of preaching. He was having a great gospel meeting in Chicago, and on October 8, 1871, he preached to the largest audience that he had ever had in that city. His text was, what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? After the altar song, they said, Moody told the congregation, I'll give you a week to decide what to do with Jesus. It was that very night the great Chicago fire devastated the city, and many that had been in that audience died, likely unsaved. Moody said, I learned that night. With that night which I preached to press Christ upon the people and try to bring them to a decision on the spot. Do it now. It's what uh, Romans 13, 11 is saying. Now is the time. You don't know everything, but you do know something. And really, it's usually not, you know, uh, you, you really the big things are just a, a culmination of many small choices that just come, come to light at the right time. And, you know, really, everybody, the secret of becoming what God wants you to be, the secret is doing what he tells you to do. It's not how many notes you have. It's not how many years you've had at Bible school. Listen, I know people who've been in Bible school for 20 years. Sad but true. It's the truth. I asked him the true. last time I saw him, I said, what are you doing here? We were in a different Bible school in a different state. I won't tell too much. Lest really? to protect them, you know, protect the guilty, I guess. But anyway, oh, we just like this teaching so much. I thought, I'm glad you do, but brother, you've been in Bible school for 20 years. I mean, I'm just looking at them thinking, you know, there's one thing you may not. I mean, you, you, I don't know whether you're going to run out of money or not, but you are going to run out of time. I mean, Bubba, you are going to run out of time. And you say, yeah, well, you know, God loves me anytime. Yeah, he does, but you only got so much time to tell others about it. And so, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get you to do anything prematurely, but everybody at every point in their life needs to do something. Because if you don't do it, brother, I don't care how many times you heard it preached, it's just, a, it's just gathering dust on your desk, you know what I mean? Yeah. Really, it doesn't mean a thing until it's something you're living. And when you're living it, whoo, hot dog, I'm telling you, you ain't never going to come off of it. Because the person who has the experience always gets the advantage over the person with the argument. Amen? It says, now it is high time for you to wake up out of your sleep. One translation says, rouse to reality for salvation. Final deliverance is nearer to us now than when we first believed. I love how it says in uh, one translation, Ben Campbell Johnson, be aware of this hour in history. Open your eyes. So I just believe the Holy Ghost is helping us to see things differently. I know I am. I mean, we're, you know, sometimes, you know, you just, you just start, you, you, you got, listen, the person who's always singing a sad tune is usually the cause of their own hurt. I like what I heard Billy Graham say one time. He said, tears shed for others are always make you stronger. Tears shed for yourself will make you weaker. And there's something about you sing your own, a sad song. You're always singing a hurt song. You know, you're probably the cause of your own hurt. So, you know, I'm just telling you, brothers and sisters, somebody needs to tell you, pick up yourself and move on. It's time to go on. Everybody likes to take the trash out at least twice a week. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Hallelujah. But I have a couple of, uh, <laughs> I have a couple of scriptures I want to read to you. Oh, well, you know, that glory will take the trash out. I know that. <laughs> Listen, 
There are only two reasons someone said people move. Only two. Pain or pleasure. You know, you know, you either move because you feel you hurt, you hurt bad enough that you finally decide you will, or you see the glory and the joy set before you, you say, Oh, the possibility, I think I'm moving forward. Well, you know, I'd just rather be moved by God than be moved by the devil. And you know, I figured out if you're not moved by God, somebody's moving you. You say, I'll just do what I want. No, no, whatever moves you controls you. And if you're not letting God move you, you know, I got news for you. Somebody's yanking your chain. I don't know who it is, but if I talk to you long enough, I'd probably find out. But anyway, <laughs> sorry, I'm just kind of, what time is it? It's time to well, obey God. Well, this is different tonight, isn't it? <laughs> Hallelujah. I mean, this morning we were like, oh, the glory of tonight. So, are y'all okay? All right. Well, glory to God. Well, we got some We got even people in here that are going to have some uh, break it, barrier breaking moments this year. You know, I, let me read you a few things. I believe God's break. We're breaking through some things. You say, we're just, we're just doing, we're just shaking some things off and we're just breaking through. Let me read you this story. Listen, Chuck Yeager, who broke the sound barrier. I know you know, you probably heard this before, but listen to it. It said another test pilot, Slick Goodland, demanded $150,000 to break the sound barrier. He demanded $150,000 in 1940s. You know, he was like, you know, he was an employee, but he said, I give you give me $150,000. His name was Slick. Yeah, he wasn't so slick. After, nobody knows his name today. He said, uh, he believed the difficulty caused many to, uh, well, well, uh, uh, many would not answer the, the challenge. But when Jaeger said, yeah, I'll do it, this is what they said about him. They said, yeah, this guy especially Slick. He said, yeah, Jaeger better have his insurance paid up. They thought it was going to be the last thing he did. And so he broke the sound barrier on October 14, 1947, flying an altitude of 45,000 feet two nights before the scheduled date for the flight. He broke two ribs while riding a horse. He was so afraid of being removed from the mission that he went to a veterinarian in a nearby town for treatment and only told his wife as well as his friend, Jack Ridley, about it. He was in such pain on the day of the flight that he could not close the airplane's hatch by himself, so his friend rigged up a device really just the end of a broom handle used as an extra lever to allow him to seal the hatch of the plane he recorded his flight at Mach 1.07 he said he was quick to point out the public paid attention to the whole number you know woo, he broke the sound barrier you know Mach 1 but he said really it was Mach 1.07 the next milestone he said would be Mach 2 in other words he was saying hey I did this but really I was closer to Mach 2 than Mach 1 yeah and everybody talked about Mach 1, and he said it hurt so bad he didn't. He went to a veterinarian because he was afraid if he went to the hospital, there would be a record of it, and so they wouldn't let him fly. How many of us want to say, oh, I hurt my ribs. Somebody tell me not to go. <laughs> he said, no, I don't want nobody to know because I've already made the choice. I'm going. I don't care if it hurts. I don't care if it hog ties the devil. I'm going, and I'm not just heading for one. He said, I tell you what, there's another barrier to it and I believe some of us in here listen to me you're gonna have to quit telling everybody about your broken ribs and your fall and you're just gonna have to if you have to go to a veterinarian to get fixed you know what no I'm just joking but you just gotta say quit testifying for the devil and start magnifying the Lord and you're gonna see that those broken ribs are not gonna be the most most how many y'all even know he had broken ribs Probably not as many of you as knew that he broke the sound barrier. Come on now. You can talk about your broken ribs all day or you can talk. You can do what the assignment is for you to do. And the assignment is for you to get in the chair, brother, and put the pedal to the metal and move in the glory of God. Hallelujah. The day before he broke. And the, he said, he said, oh, they all focused on Mach 1, but really I was closer to Mach 2. When they asked him what it was like, he said, the real barrier was in our knowledge of supersonic flight. He said it was easy, like sipping lemonade on the front porch, a poke through jello, as smooth as a baby's bottom. <laughs> he 
was kind of, I, 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 didn't, I didn't read you everything he said. But it is funny. You say, what kind of person does it take to have a barrier-breaking moment? A person who will not stop when it hurts. A person who sees ahead that which is possible with God. And their eyes are set on that which is ahead, not on that which is behind. He goes on that, let me read you this one. Roger Bannister was the first person ever to run a, a mile in uh, under four minutes. At the time, he was a 25-year-old full-time medical student who, who's, who had devised his own approach to training. He was something of a maverick. I like that word. Both in terms of what made him tick and his approach. The quest to break the four-minute barrier had been in full force since 1886, 70 years before somebody did it. It involved the most brilliant coaches, the most gifted athletes in North America, Europe, Australia. It was truly the holy grail of athletic achievement. For 70 years, it didn't happen. And when it did happen, it defied all the experts. For 70 years, the experts believed they knew the precise circumstances under which the record would be broken. It would have to be in perfect weather, 68 degrees, no wind, on a particular kind of track, hard, dry clay, in front of a huge crowd that would be urging the runner on. But Roger Bannister broke it on a cold day, on a wet track, in a meeting before a small crowd. He broke the mark when the experts said it had to be done on a dry day. It had to be done on a, a, a dry court, on a, on a good, good, did I say, dry track, a good 68-degree day, and a large crowd to give him some enthusiasm to go on. But he did it on a wet day, on a cold track. I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, you can do it right now. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Come on now. You're going to have to, you, you're going to have to say you're going to have to be the best preacher you ever heard. It's good to listen to good preaching, but brother, you're listening to yourself preach more than anybody else. When you get up in the morning, I can't tell you how many times I get up and I'll say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'll say it when I'm getting ready to go somewhere. If I start getting my eyes on my hurt or start getting my eyes on my fear, I, you know how I bring my eyes back around? I start speaking what God says about me. And then I don't just speak it because if all you do is say it, you're not really blessed. The Bible says you're not blessed until you do it. So when you get up, listen, it's like when you get it and when you do it, that's when the anointing kicks in. Because faith attracts the anointing. And when you act in faith, that's when the anointing kicks in. The woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5, as she pressed through the crowd, the Bible says that she said, you know, if I can but touch his garment, I will be whole. But she may have said that for, you know, the next 20 years. But what she did was she began to do something, and that was faith. And when she moved through the crowd, the Bible says that Jesus felt virtue go out of him. Whoa. Faith attracts Whoa. the anointing. Glory, glory, glory. And when the anointing of God hit her, why did it hit her? Because she was moving in faith. Faith attracts the anointing. And when it hit her, Jesus said he turned around in the crowd. One translation says he scanned the faces of the crowd to see who had made contact. And as he looked, he could see which one. He could see it on her face. And when he did, it says she, he told him, he said, go. He said, and get her who has done this thing. Who did this thing? She did this thing. I, when I first read those words, I thought, that's amazing. It's the power of God. Obviously, healing is the gift of God. But she was the one that activated the anointing. And she did it by an act of faith. I don't know how she felt. She probably didn't feel very good. She hadn't been feeling good for a long time. I mean, she had her story to tell. I'm sure she told. But when she told her story, she told how the, in the I like the way you, when your story is told in the light of what God has done, it not only releases your faith, it releases faith to others around you. Because the Bible goes on to say in the next chapter that they brought people from all around. They all touched his garment and they were all healed. healed. 
Oh, hot dog. She wasn't the first, the only one. She was just the first one. That's what I'm talking about with breaking barriers. You're not the only one. You're the first one. You're the first one. You might have had your broken fall. You might have had your fall. You might be cold, wet, and rainy, but you can do just like the apostle Paul did when he shook. You say, what are you going to do if you get in a boat and God has told you you're supposed to go there. That's what happened in Acts 27. And he gets in his boat and he goes and he's on course. You know, now he's going as a prisoner. But really, he's a servant of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the middle, you know what happened. The Bible says that, that as they, they began to have, you know, the ship broke apart. I love this in the Message Bible. Listen to this. Acts 27. I just kind of, I just got to give this to you. Acts chapter 27 in the Message Bible. It says that as they, uh, as they got into trouble in the, in the storm, you know, Paul had told them, don't do that. Don't sit, don't sail. And they didn't listen to him because he was just a prisoner. And so they sailed. And so I like how it says it in the Message Bible. Because in the Message Bible, he says, friends, I think in the King James, let me read how it says it in the King James. It says, uh, in the King James, he says, uh, uh, you, uh, how did he say it? Hold on here for a second. He says, uh, I've got it. I just can't see it. It's all here. Men, you should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster. Listen to it in the Message Bible. It says, friends, you really should have listened to me back there in Crete. We could have avoided all this trouble and trial. But listen, but there's no need to dwell on that now. No need to dwell on that now. I like how he says it in the King James because he says, but uh, he says, uh, 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 now I urge you to take heart. He says, for there'll be no loss of life. He said, he said, there's no need to dwell on that now. From now on, things are looking up. Woo. Now listen, this is the Apostle Paul on what some Bible scholars call his fourth missionary journey. As he's going for the first time headed toward Rome. And as he's going as a prisoner but really sent from heaven. And as he's going, listen, he didn't You say, well, by this time, you know, we ought to be not, you know, be able to smooth, you know, just go through with no trouble. No, on his last, uh, even in the last of his days, he had to stand up and say, boys, I believe God. It will be even as he told me. How did he do that? He said, you should have listened, but there's no, you know, I always tell people, you know, he was a preacher because every preacher says you should have listened to me and then they leave town, you know. <laughs> Not a pastor, a preacher. You know, you should have, pastors never say it because they have to stay there and look at you next week. But preachers, you know, oh, you could have listened to me. <laughs> Bye-bye. Okay. But he said, but no, there's no need to dwell on that now. What are you dwelling on? What is it you're thinking about? He said, I'm not thinking about that now. I got something else ahead of me that's moving me in a different yes, direction. Yes. Things are looking up. Things are looking up. Boy, the Bible says it was so dark they couldn't, hadn't seen anything for three days. But he said, it doesn't look that way to me. Things are looking up. Woo. In fact, he went on for 14 days, and he kept saying, things are looking up. How many days you been saying it? Things are looking up. Yeah. What happened next? The boat gets caught up, and it breaks apart. Paul grabs the board. All aboard. He grabs the board. <laughs> what are you going to do if the boat you're on where God said things are looking up all break apart? You just grab a board. Yeah, swim to shore, mama. And he swam to shore. And when he swam to shore, it was cold, and it was wet, and it was rainy. But it was a barrier-breaking moment. And instead of him going, oh, man, I'm cold, I'm wet, I'm rainy, I'm the apostle Paul, you know who I am. No, he went and picked up sticks, and he built a fire. And when he built a fire, a snake came out of the fire. What are you going to do if a snake comes out of the fire on a cold, wet, rainy day, and you just swam to shore on a board out of a boat that broke apart that God told you things were looking up on? You say, my goodness, is it always going to be like this? Another thing to do. Yeah, I'm just saying. The boat that God told you things were looking up on is actually all, all you got aboard now. Here it is, my testimony. Things are looking up. And then he's saying, it's cold, it's wet, it's rainy, not a pretty sight. 
Oh, but when that snake, that viper snatched on his hand, the Bible says he shook it off. And when he shook it off, there were people, friends, who were looking at him think, I think he ought to be dead by now. What do you think, Joe? It looks to me like he's swelling up. I think, I'm just telling you. You bet you listen to those who aren't walking with God. One day they'll look at you, curse you. The next day they'll bless you. And you'll be doing the same thing if all you do is listen to them. But no, Paul shook it off in the fire. I like that. Do you know that I read in a Bible uh, commentary about the island of Malta that today on the island of Malta there are no venomous snakes of any kind? Isn't that something? That today one of the uh, peculiarities or the characteristics, there's another word but I can't think of it, of Malta is that there are no venomous snakes on that island. When I read that, I thought, I don't know, but I just wonder if this venomous snake that attached itself to Paul's hand was the last one there. It wouldn't be, it'd be just like the devil to make you think that it was your last day when really it was his last day. Be just like the devil to make you the think. The king is coming. Oh, there's a lot more trouble than there is triumph. Oh, no. That's your last stand, devil. You thought that was going to turn me, but actually it turned you. You thought you were going to move me out of here. I just moved you out of here. That's the way people who are breaking barriers for God think. And I love what happened next because you think it's good. Here, listen, it gets even better because the Apostle Paul, he shakes it off. And then the next thing they know, they said, Woo, did you see him shake it off and not die? Whoa, he must be sent from God. And there's a man on the island who's sick. And he's, he's at his, he goes to his house. He lays his hands on him. Now, I don't know about you. You know, you can speak the word from here. You know, Jesus did that. Speak the word from here. You can, you know, you can, uh, you can do many things. You can anoint them with oil. But he laid his hands on him. I don't know about you, but I think it just gave Paul and the Holy Ghost special delight to take the same hand that had been snake bit just a few days before, being trying the, the leaving its mark and trying to determine what it would or would not be used for by the powers of hell. I think it gave special delight to the Apostle Paul to take that same hand that had poison throat fo- flowing through it a few mo- days before to let the anointed healing power of God flow through that hand. And when he laid his hands on that man, he was healed. And if you want to read the rest of the story, Paul Harvey, Acts 27, the last scripture says, when they heard about this, every sick person on the island came and they were all healed. That's the real barrier-breaking moment. It doesn't just put you on course. It puts others on course, too. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Something's changing. Something's moving. It's not just moving so you can, you know, pay off your Toyota. It's moving so that you can be a blessing to your generation so that others can see the testimony of a living Jesus who is alive in you. He's alive. He's alive. Oh, glory to God. No, I don't think I have time. I think I'm going to stop there. Okay. <laughs> well, you can read it. We'll sing one song and go home. Oh. Me to read one thing. Take me five minutes. How many of y'all have you heard people saying things today like, "Oh, we're this is like like the Great Depression, uh, you know, Great Depression." Every time I hear somebody say that, you know, I say, "No, it's not a Great Depression. It's the Great Awakening." The great awakening. You say, what's happening? A great awakening. The church is waking up. It's high time to wake up. Oh, we don't. Listen, I'm telling you, time, it's right now. 
I mean, you might have fallen off your horse yesterday, but brother, you're getting in the cockpit today and breaking a barrier. Listen, the every time in our the history of our nation, you could go back further than that, but we can see moments in the early 1700s, early 1800s, early 1900s, where we had periods, what we would call awakening, great awakening, a stirring up of the Spirit of God. But I want to read you about one uh, in, in particular in the 1700s. They called, uh, just listen to this, uh, uh, in, in uh, the, the first great awakening for our, for our, our country's history. Colonial America in 1726 was in moral and spiritual decline. The challenges of frontier life and a series of brutal wars had demoralized many and a shortage of churches and ministers left many without any spiritual care. Many existing churches had degenerated into formal religious institutions with no power to bring about much needed change. Now, you could change a few words and really, modern day America in 2009 was in moral and spiritual decline. The challenges of life and a series of brutal wars had demoralized many. I mean, come on, just turn on CNN, constantly negative news. There you go. Jonathan, but what happens it now? Many existing churches were no longer able to bring uh, uh, the power for the much-needed change. But there was a, a pastor of a church in Massachusetts who was greatly concerned, and he began a pastor of a church, and he began to seek God, and the power of God began to work powerfully in his church. And as it did, the, 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 they reached out into the cities, and the church was filled with those seeking salvation. This is what they said in describing Put that down just a little. In describing the church, it said, Our public assemblies, this is a direct quote, was then beautiful. The congregation was alive in God's service. Everyone intent on public worship. Every hearer eager to drink in the words of the minister as they came from his mouth. The assembly would be in time to time in tears. Others uh, with joy and love. Others with concern for the souls of their neighbors. That they, they, uh, they, No matter as they entered into the community, they would become overwhelmed with the presence of God. As they returned home, they carried the spirit of this revival with them where they went. The result was a revival that not only transformed the moral and spiritual character character of the community but also that of the entire nation now listen George Whitfield y'all heard of him he was a friend of the Wesley's he was a preacher and a great communicator in 1739 he came to America and began to preach and as he did signs and wonders accompanied his preaching the power of God would move spontaneously throughout the congregation as he spoke other manifestations of the of the spirit would occur one uh, as he was surveying the crowd one noted this response he said look where I would most were in tears some were it looked struck pale as death, others wringing their hands, others lying on the ground, sinking into their arms of friends, lifting up their eyes to heaven, crying out to God. Woo, sounds like a church service to me. Benjamin Franklin was a close friend of George Whitfield's. You ever heard of Benjamin Franklin? Look at your money. Benjamin Franklin, his testimony of the power of the revival is particularly significant since at this time, he did not profess to be a Christian. Now listen, in his autobiography, Benjamin Franklin wrote this, quote, In 1739, there arrived among us from Ireland the Reverend Mr. Whitfield, who made himself a remarkable uh, as an itinerant preacher. He was at first permitted to preach in some of our churches, but the clergy, taking a dislike to him, soon refused him their pulpits, so he was obliged to preach in the fields. <laughs> The multitudes came to attended his sermons were enormous. And he said, it was a matter of speculation to me, who was one of the number, Benjamin Franklin, to observe the extraordinary influence of his oratory on his hearers from being thoughtless or indifferent about religion. And he doesn't mean a man-made system. He means those who are committed to God, his plan, his church, his people. He said, it seemed as if all the world was growing religious. You couldn't walk through the town in an evening without hearing psalms sung by different families in every street. Hallelujah. That's what Benjamin Franklin heard. And it went on and it said this, many manifestations of the Great Awakening would be very familiar to the modern Pentecostals and Charismatics. Falling under the power was not unusual. He, they would refer to it as fainting and 
faintings and sometimes referred in their meetings as being full of nothing but outcries, faintings, and the like. Glory. They said some would be so affected, their bodies so overcome, they could not go home, would stay all night. He said, this is one, this was one guy who was an opposer of the revival. You ever had any opposers? You said, we don't want an opposer. Well, listen to me. If you don't ever have any opposers, you might want to check with who your real friends really are. I'm just telling you, Jesus never missed it, and he had opposers. Yeah, never missed it. He never preached the wrong sermon, and they didn't like everything he preached. Okay, that ought to make somebody feel good. So listen to this. This is what an opposer of the meeting said. The meetings would last till 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. In the midst of them, sometimes 10, 20, or 30 would be crying out. He said, others make great manifestations of joy by clapping their hands, uttering ecstatic expressions. That's referring to tongues. Singing psalms, inviting and exhorting others. <laughs> he went on, this one guy said, he said, I saw... He said, when I saw him go down, he said it looked like they lay, they lay on the floor for hours in the straw. He said it looked like, I, I, he said, the noise was like the roar of Niagara. He said, a strange supernatural power seemed to pervade the entire mass. He said, at one time I saw at least 500 swept down in a moment as if a battery of a thousand guns had been opened on them. Immediately, he said, followed by shouts that rent the heavens, I fled for the woods and wish I'd stayed home. Woo! But listen to me now. This is the kind of atmosphere. You say, what's the purpose of this? What is it? Is it just so people can talk about you? No, no. There's a greater purpose. You think it's just, listen, the people who are talking about you, if you weren't here, they'd be wishing you were. Listen to this. The revival had far-reaching implications. Listen to this. It changed the moral climate of colonial America, and it spawned extensive missionary work. Colleges like Princeton, Columbia, Hampton, Sydney were established to equip ministers for the new congregation. The revival also contributed to the growing sense of political independence among the colonists. Now listen. I'm talking about this time in 1739. Listen to me now. Harvard professor William Perry states, quote, the Declaration of Independence of 1776 was a result of the evangelical preaching of the evangelists of the Great Awakening. Well, we gotta pray. Listen now. Listen, have you ever wondered what was it that made our forefathers be willing to give up everything for the cause of freedom? Was it a political party? No, it wasn't a political party. It was a move of the Spirit of God in the hearts of the people of God that brought forth a cry that not only changed their churches but their communities, that they knew that liberty had been given not as the, they, a gift they had to give the world but a gift that God had given them in Christ Jesus. And they became so extreme in their commitment to the will of God that they fought and they did whatever was necessary to bring about and preserve the freedom that they knew was a God-given right. The deck, he said, the Declaration of Independence was, he didn't say it might have been, it was a result of the evangelical preaching of the evangelists of the great awakening. Listen to me, church. This is our hour. This is our time. I'm telling you, it's yes. not the time to look down. Yes. It's the time to look yes. up. Yes. It's not the time to record all your hurts, yes. all your fears, yes. all your mistakes. It's the time to put your hand to the plow and don't look back. Yes. I'm here to tell you, we are living in a moment in history where things are turning. Yes. Is increasing on his people all over the world for a purpose far greater all over the world far greater than what you would think with your natural eye you're literally turning the tide of this nation through the power listen it is a it is a fact that it only takes two percent of a population to change its culture two percent that is a documented fact Listen to me. Culture 
is what shapes political power. Politics does not really have any power. It is just enabled by the culture that it lives in. Culture is what shapes political power. And I'm here to tell you, it is the people of God's place to bring about a sense of optimism, expectation, and that which is possible because God has given you a vision that is far beyond the sandy shores of this country, far beyond the gold mines and reserves of our world, but it is the treasures of heaven that we have to give to those who are hurting and waiting to hear. Oh, I pray that you're turned, you're stirred, and you will not be quiet because you have been anointed by God. You have been appointed to be a witness this hour. Oh, Jesus, mm. thank you for the great work that you accomplished in your death, burial, and resurrection. You are alive. You live the same yesterday, Today, forever. We hope you've enjoyed this message by Lois Toucher and Cindy Duvall of Shekinah Glory Ministries. For more information about Shekinah Glory, log on to our website at www.shekinahglory.com. There you'll find our entire catalog of teaching materials, music CDs, and books all available for online purchase. The website also offers our daily devotional, updates from the road, and our ministry itinerary so you can pray for us as we travel throughout the United States and overseas. You can also join our mailing list in order to receive regular newsletter updates of ongoing ministry projects. Thank you and God bless you for your support of Shekinah Glory Ministries. We couldn't do it without you. Truly, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall fill all the earth. This is Ray Toucher, speaking for Shekinah Glory Ministries. Thank you and God bless you.